Well, hello, hello, and welcome, welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is where we talk about crime fiction with crime fiction authors, mostly with crime fiction authors, and uh, mostly about crime fiction, but we will stray far and wide uh, wherever the whims take us. Um, and on this episode, we'll be talking with John Floyd. And I have to tell you, folks, I'm pretty excited to talk to John in that uh, he and I made our acquaintance quite some time ago and have been uh, friends uh, thanks to the Internet for a long while. And uh, uh, this conversation that you're going to hear uh, uh, during this interview is actually the first time that he and I have uh, spoken in person. So what a weird world we live in. Um, and uh, John is a uh, master short storyteller, and uh, I think you'll in enjoy some of his insights and might be surprised by a couple of things that he has to say. Uh, but first, let's go to our sponsor. Uh, Down and Out Books is the sponsor of Wrong Place, Right Crime, and so we like to hear from them every episode. Uh, let's take it to Eric Campbell, the publisher and editor-in-chief of Down and Out Books. <laughs> Hi, Frank. This is Eric Campbell from Down and Out Books with a few ideas of how you can cool down during the month of August. First up is Jack Getz, The Black Kachina. Jack introduces us to Colonel Maggie Black, who oversees a top secret weapon program for the Air Force. But when that weapon is lost, she has to track it down before a Native American who sees the weapon as a sign from the Great Spirit destroys the Hoover Dam. Not to be missed, this is a fast-paced, action-packed thriller of a wonderful character you'll want to read about for a long time to come. Bo Johnson drops a better kind of hate on the world. This is a great mix of short stories and flash fiction, some previously published and some brand new. Joe Clifford says, Bo Johnson is a lawless writer. Johnson operates where sometimes all it takes is for a bad man to kill a worse one. A stark and sobering reality and a stellar debut. These books are available for pre-order now. Find out more at downandoutbooks.com. And thanks for uh, having me on the show, Frank. Thanks, Eric. Down Out Books is a great publisher. Uh, of course, I am partial. I have several books there. and uh, uh, But I have to say they've been coming on really strong the last few years, and they have been uh, uh, doing pretty well for themselves. Six Anthony nominations and... Uh, putting out a ton of great books. They've really found their niche. So let's move to our main interview for this episode. We'll be interviewing John Floyd, who is a short story master. I think you'll be surprised when you hear how many short stories this man has published in, in just about 10 years. A real gentleman from uh, Mississippi. And uh, I wanted to get him on the show because we've talked to novelists the first three outings. And uh, with this fourth episode of uh, uh, and with our fifth episode, I wanted to get to a couple of people who work more primarily in the shorter form. So let's hear what uh, John has to say. Well, welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Good to be here. So in looking at your bio before I gave you a call, I thought I knew you, but uh, there were some surprises that popped up, and uh, I'm sure we'll get to, to all of them throughout the course of the show, but... Uh, the first one that jumped out at me is I knew you were prolific, but uh, your your bio says that you're the author of over a thousand short stories published. Well, it's over a thousand. Yeah, it's over a thousand published pieces. I think short stories. I think I have about a, about seven eight hundred short stories. Uh, others are I don't know essays, poems, uh, humor pieces, uh, that kind of thing. But, so the majority are still stories, though. 
those uh, stories have been collected into six different collections? Some of them have, right. Uh, a small publisher has, uh, has taken, I think, gosh, about 210 of those stories and, uh, and put them into six different uh, six different books. And that'd be uh, Dogwood Press, your, your publisher? It would. It would. Dogwood Press, Joe Lee is the publisher. A local, locally based uh, press? It there. is. They are, it, it is. They're based here in Mississippi. Uh, Joe had seen some of my stories in Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine, and I guess about 10 years ago now, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, approached me with the idea of putting some of those together into a collection. And it was kind of a no-brainer for me, uh, uh, just a great opportunity. Uh, we did that. The book did well, and, uh, and there have been six of them now. The thing I, that always interested me about you was a lot of writers do short stories. I've done short stories. Everybody I know has done short stories at some point. But you've that's been your career. You've stuck with it, and you've uh, been incredibly prolific at it and haven't moved on to or changed to the, to the novel form. What is it about the, the short story form or writing short stories that's caused you to, to stick with it so long and to become so prolific at it? Well, I've asked myself that question, too. I think one thing is I really, really like the idea of, of working on a project only for a little while and then writing the end, and then tomorrow you can do something completely different. I think, and, and I've written a couple of novels. They've, I, I've, not, I've not published any, but I've played with the novel form, and, uh, and, and it's fun, too, in a completely different way. But with, with a novel, you live with those characters for months, I don't know, maybe, maybe for years. With a short story, you can come up with an idea. You can, you can work, work with those characters for a while and that plot and, and, and do everything in a very short period of time, finish it. And I think that com the sense of completion is just something that appeals to me. And, and then I'm done with it, and tomorrow I can write something totally different. And, and I've just found that cycle is just really, really fun for me. And so I, I think maybe that's one reason I've, I've stuck with it. Would you say that your stories tend to fall within a particular range within the genre, or are you are you all over? A lot of a lot of uh, of different pieces of that genre. I've, I've, I've tried a lot of different things within mysteries, I suppose, but I do find myself gravitating toward mysteries more than crime crime stories, I guess, more than things like science fiction, western. Uh, and so forth. So I've written a lot of uh, a lot of westerns and some science fiction, but uh, most of these crime stories, I think, because that's what I like. Because that's what I like to read. They're the kind of movies I most like to to watch usually. But but I have I've tried several different kinds, I guess, of of, of crime stories, mystery stories, and it seems very very few. It seems when I look back at what I've done or who done it. Some are, but uh, but most I think are probably. How done it, or why done it, or how catch them, or that kind of thing, rather than rather than who done it. But the definition of a mystery in terms in the publishing world seems to be that if a crime is involved with the plot, it's a mystery. So I guess they are the crime stories rather than mysteries. And within the crime genre, how would you classify most of your stories in in a particular niche? There, like, are they on the cozier end of the spectrum, or are you all over the spectrum within mystery as well? Probably all over the spectrum. Uh, I think I think more. Of, I, I like the suspense side. Uh, more. I, I almost like third person sometimes more than first person. If that makes sense, because mm -hmm. because I think it it helps uh, to, to build suspense maybe more than first person would. Um, so I find a lot of my stories are, are written 
third person. A lot of them are longer. Lately, for some reason, my stories have been a little longer than they used to be, though I do write a lot, still a lot of, of shorter stories, maybe even less than a thousand words for, uh, for some publications that take that like those, like Woman's World and, and, and some of those. Well, that's an excellent segue. What what are some of the magazines that where your work has appeared? Oh, gosh, I guess some, maybe some of the better known ones would be Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine, A H M M, Every Queen's Mystery Magazine, uh, Woman's World is the, the the magazine that shows up a lot of times. You know, Target, Walmart, uh, the store, and so forth. They have a weekly publication that features one mystery and one romance every week. I've written a lot of mysteries for Woman's World. The Saturday Evening Post has published half a dozen of my stories. And uh, the Strand Magazine out of Birmingham, Michigan, is uh, has published a lot of my fiction. Now, Women's World, that, that one always surprises me. You wouldn't expect that to be a, a market for a mystery story. How did you, did you just spot the market uh uh, and, and start submitting, or how did you end up? Because uh, you have a pretty regular gig there, or have had quite a few stories up here or there. I, I did. I just sold my 89th story to Woman's World, believe it or not. Um, wow. Two of those are romances, and the rest of them are mysteries. Someone said that I'm a lot more mysterious than romantic, I guess. Each each weekly issue, sure enough, has one 800-word, believe it or not, romance, and one 700-word mystery in every issue. And like you, I was a little surprised to even find that that's the case. But I found out years ago that I think it was 1999, maybe 1998 or so, I found out about Woman's World and started um, and gave them a try. And I think one reason I published so many stories there is, uh, is is I have a kind of a mystery series that they seem to have liked. And I've written a lot of stories for them featuring a couple of recurring characters. And that's worked out That's worked out really well. The readers wind up knowing the characters. I wind up knowing them well. And, uh, and so I think it's easier to put together those really short stories when there's already an established sort of characters that maybe you don't have to have a lot of backstory each time you get right into the plot. And that seems to have worked well. You've got a couple of different, uh, several different of those types of uh, short story series um, one of them has a, t- a retired teacher and a former student, I think. What, what, which ones are those? Yeah, that's this one. Is kind of, she's, she's a retired uh, school teacher. Her name's Angela Potts, and she's uh, she the guy that she taught in the fifth grade is now the sheriff of their little town, and she kind of <laughs> helps him solve mysteries whether he wants her to or not. That kind of thing. And one one lady said it's almost like Mayberry. If it can't be, we're always telling. Sheriff Taylor, how to do his job, you know. So that's, that's been an awful lot of fun. So you, you put a little humor in there. You, yeah. you come up with a little, the little mysteries, and it seems to work pretty well. Uh, you, you had more than one that were uh, a short story series, though. You had a couple others, uh, I believe. I do. You know, one has a, a, a again, a, again, a retired teacher. Her name's Fran Valentine, and her daughter Lucy Valentine is a sheriff too. And Fran is more interested probably in getting Lucy married than she is anything else. But but she winds up helping with the mystery stories, and so it's kind of a lot of banter between them and so forth. And that, that's that's uh, that's been a lot of fun. I, I think, gosh, I've, I've published a bunch of stories in that series, not as many as as in the uh, the Angela Potts series. But the series stories are really fun to work with, and I can see why novelists go go with series. They they are an awful lot of fun. Are they set in Mississippi, or what do you have them? It's actually, they, they really are. They're set in Mississippi because I wind up talking about places like Memphis and New Orleans and Birmingham, places that are that are fairly close close by here. But uh, but but there's not a but I've not named a town. Uh, I've not named a town in those two series. 
so I, I kind of keep it. Uh, I, I kind of keep it up in the air, but they're pretty much in North Central Mississippi. Question: I guess you probably get most writers get is when did you when did you know you were going to be a writer that you wanted to be a writer? Is this something you discovered as a kid? Well, almost everyone I know discovered they wanted to be a writer as a kid. Almost everyone I know who writes started writing early. I didn't. I probably didn't have enough sense to. But, uh, in fact, I didn't even like English and that kind of thing in, in, in school and high school or college. But uh, late in life, really in the 40s, I just I just realized that this was this was really a lot of fun. I, I've always liked to read, always loved to read. I've always liked movies. And for some reason, I started thinking it would be fun to maybe dream up some of these stories. At the time, I was working for IBM, and I was traveling a lot, and I spent a lot of time in airports and, and, and airplanes, you know, and in hotels and at conferences by myself, and I wound up starting, I wound up dreaming up these stories that just proved to be a great deal of fun, and the more I did it, the more I, I wanted to do it. I wish I had had uh, I found myself just in that direction earlier rather than later, but I'm glad I discovered it when I did. Do you remember your first story that was published? Uh, yeah, my first story was, gosh, it was a story for a Mystery Time magazine, I think, back, gosh, in, in, the, in the 90s. And just a lot of, you know, a lot of water under the bridge since then. But I think they <laughs> sent me, Linda Hutton was the editor, and I think she sent me five, a $5 bill in in an envelope uh, as, as payment, not not a check, it's a $5 bill. And someone asked me, uh, did you frame, you probably framed that right. Oh, man, I didn't frame that. I think we at the time we had two of our three children were teenagers, and uh, gosh, we, you know, we're going through about 10 gallons of milk a week, and that $5 yeah. was probably gone. Was probably really fast. Probably, probably drank up, huh? <laughs> drank up by the did, little, little milk monsters got all over that. <laughs> uh, you said you worked for for IBM. What did you do for IBM? I was a I was a finance specialist. I was a systems engineer. I specialized in finance, worked with finance applications all those years. So I wound up uh, I wound up traveling uh, a lot and doing that kind of kind of thing all over the country and all over the world and. It was uh, it wound up good for me, Frank, really, because it gave me great fodder for stories for later on. And uh, a lot of someone said a lot of my a lot of my crime stories involve bank robberies. Why is that? <laughs> I think it's because I spent so much time, you know, in financial institutions. Maybe over the years, it, it was a good it was a great career. I, I really loved IBM. IBM was a great company to work for. Uh, really good to their employees, and uh, I, I've always been really fortunate that. Uh, that I had that job for so many years. You uh, retired from, from IBM then? I did. I'm retired from IBM, sure enough. You know, one thing I didn't know about you when I uh, pulled up your bio just to have here as a reference while we were talking, um, I didn't realize that you had uh, spent a, a brief stint in the Air Force. I did. I was in, in the Air Force for four years. Actually, uh, on leave of absence from IBM, I hired on worked there only a couple months. I went to some classes in L.A. and so forth for just a couple months and then went off for four years, uh, leave of absence Air Force. I was at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma City. It was in Oklahoma that I met, met, uh, met and married my wife. And, uh, I, I, Frank, I don't even know if they have leaves of absence anymore to the military, but it worked out great for, uh, for me because I was able to count the time gone as time served with the company since I hired on with IBM just before uh, I stint in the Air Force. So you knew when you got out of the Army, or the Air Force rather, that you had a job waiting for you. I, I did. Yes, I did. And that was that was the benefit. That was really the advantage of that, as I came right back to the job that I'd left. 
and, uh, and they did that a lot with the, with the Air Force, uh, uh, Army, and so forth back in those uh, back in those days. It worked out worked out really well. When I uh, uh, introduce the, uh, this segment and put, put stuff on the, the blog and everything, people are, are going to think that maybe I overhyped you a little bit until they hear about the 1,000 stories and uh, the fact that uh, you your stories have won some awards. You're uh, a three-time Derringer winner. Right. I was I was real fortunate. I won the Derringer three times twice last last year, or a couple years ago. It was last year, I guess. Uh, so you won in two categories, categories in the same year. Yeah, I was really fortunate there in the uh, uh, the novelette uh, category and the long story category, which was uh, which is really crazy to consider all those little stories. I write for Wonders World that those awards came with a lot of stuff, but any kind of story, gosh, any any story of any length is uh, is great. It's great fun to write. Just an awful lot, of, awful lot of fun. So I was really lucky with those uh, with those awards. Uh, well, for people who maybe aren't familiar uh, with the short form quite as much, the, the Derringer Award is uh, awarded by the uh, Short Mystery Fiction Society. The Derringer Award is a pretty prestigious award. The cool thing about it is is the SMFS is a pretty big group of people, and it, it's made up of both writers and readers. Do you know how many members there are? Is it like about 3,000 or so? or? I think it is. I think it's several thousand members now, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and you're right. I believe they are uh, readers and and writers. And the and the process that they go through there, the you know you have to be a member to nominate. You can nominate if you're a member. It's a pretty loose nomination process. And if you're a publisher, you can nominate a certain number of pieces. Right. But then it it's blind judging the first go around, completely blind. And so when they get to the finalists, I think they have like five per category. That's correct. You know, to get there, you have to go go through blind judging, and so uh, it's totally quality. I mean, it's subjective; it's a human judge, but it's quality. Uh, and then the, the 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 votes for the actual awards at that point, uh, every member gets one vote, and then you know who wrote you know who wrote what title, and I mean it's all it's open voting at that point. People tend to they tend to vote quality just whether blind or not, and so to win that award with that many people agreeing on the fact that these were some great stories. I mean, I think uh, definitely congratulations are, are, are in order. That wasn't the only time you've uh, been in the award discussions, though. I mean, uh, uh, you were a finalist for the Edgar at one point, too? I was two years ago. I was fortunate enough to be nominated for the Edgar Award for a story that had appeared in Strand Magazine the year before. And uh, that that was really a, that was a great experience. For me, I, I didn't know that much about the Edgars, but a short story, best short story, is one of those one of those categories. And my wife and I went to New York for the Edgar ceremony and spent spent the week there. And uh, that is quite a that, that was uh, was quite an experience for me. I was I was very very fortunate. I lost I lost out to uh, to Gideon Flynn, who wrote uh, Gone Girl, and but but uh, nominees, gosh, they included Dennis Lehane and Michael Connelly and uh, Doug Adams. I was uh, I was, I was I was very fortunate to be even in the running that year. That's I think pretty. I told somebody that I, I really think Gillian Flynn should have should have stuck to novels at least for that year. I don't know why she <laughs> had to write a short story that particular year, but I thought that was rude behavior on her part. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was very fortunate. Yeah, that's good company to be in right there. It was. It was. We'll get back to our discussion with uh, short story master John Floyd in just a moment, but let's take a quick break and consult the experts. 
And uh, as usual, when I say experts, I mean bookstore owners, particularly independent bookstore owners and those uh, in the mystery field. We have a couple of new ones for you this episode. Uh, so without further ado, let's head up to Seattle, Washington, and visit with J.B. Dickey, the owner-proprietor of Seattle Mystery Bookshop. Hey, J.B. Hi, Frank. So you want to know a little bit about the shop? The shop opened 27 years ago. We just had our birthday in the summer of 1990 by a gentleman named Bill Farley who came here from Philadelphia where he had worked at one of the older ones in the country. And it was his intention that the shop be a resource and a place for readers to meet authors and authors to meet new readers. And he also had the tagline of mysteries for those who know what they want and for those who haven't a clue. He wanted this to be a place where people could explore and find something new. So we've tried to keep that up. And you took over the shop, uh, purchased the shop uh, a few years back? Yeah, I bought it from Bill in the winter of 1999. He wanted to back out a little bit, and uh, rather than train a new owner, I decided to go ahead and buy it. So I've actually <laughs> now owned it a little bit longer than Bill did. But I still think of it as Bill's shop, and when we're trying to figure out what what we should do, how we should do something, well, what would Bill do? And that keeps us going straight. And Bill kept working there, if I remember right, for, for quite some time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He uh, he was too great a resource to let go. He had decades more knowledge about books and writers and mysteries and themes than we did. So we were glad to keep him around, and uh, he was here part-time for a number of years. Is there anything out there that you'd uh, like to recommend to the listeners? I think one of the best right now, uh, in fact, I guess you could call it a good summer book, is the new book by Stephen Hunter, who was a Pulitzer-winning film critic for the Baltimore Sun. And he's got a long series with a guy who is now a retired Marine sniper from Vietnam who keeps getting pulled into different kinds of adventures. And in this book, uh, Bob Lee Swagger has finally sold the family property in Arkansas while he lives up in, I think, uh, Montana. And a contractor grading the property digs up a big old metal box, and when it's opened, it contains a bunch of strange artifacts that seem to point back to Bob's grandfather a man he knows nothing about because his father, Earl, never talked about him. So the story takes Bob back in an adventure to try and figure out exactly what was going on back in 1934. And at the same time, this, it tells the story of what was going on back in 1934 with the birth of the FBI and Tommy guns and the hunt for bank robbers. It's just a good, fast thriller with a lot of interesting twists to it. And what's the title? Oh, yes. The title is G-Man. G-Man by Stephen Hunter. Yep. A hunter can really move a story along. Yeah, it's uh, not to put too much of a pun on it with all the Tommy guns, but it is, it's got a great impact to it. It just really clatters along. <laughs> well stated, my friend. Well, we will talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Frank.
And now let's switch gears and talk to the owner of Herringbone Books uh, right here in Redmond, Oregon, where I call home right, uh, these days. This is Casey Islamoff. Hi, Casey. Hi. Can you tell me a little bit about Herringbone Books? Yeah, Herringbone Books was established just a year and a half ago, um, taking over an existing business, Paulina Springs Books, which has been here since 2007. And you're located here in the heart of downtown Redmond. Uh, do you have any uh, books you'd like to recommend? Um, probably most recently, um, American War. American War. By Omar el um, We had him here as a visiting author, and um, he has an excellent new book out, um, kind of a bit dystopian fiction, but um, very good premise on the future of America. There's a new civil war occurring. Unfortunately, maybe not that far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, which, what, which is what makes the book so good. Cool. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, some great recommendations from some great people. Uh, if you've got some summer reading to do, you can't go wrong by listening to these guys. Uh, they, they live and breathe around books, and they know their stuff. Uh, we'll hear more from them in future episodes. But for now, let's get back to our interview with John Floyd. This is some news. The uh, Russian journal Inostrania Literatura will translate and reprint your story, Molly's Plan, in January of 2018. How does something like that happen? Right. I was notified. Yeah, I was notified a while back about that. I was I was, I was pleased about that. Molly's Plan was another story that appeared in Strand Magazine, and it was selected by James Patterson and, and Otto Kunzler uh, for Best American Mystery Stories. And I think that that, that kind of got that story out there a bit, uh, and, and I guess others uh, have, have seen that story. And uh, I was contacted a while back uh, with the uh, with the, the information that they'd like to, that this Russian literary journal would like to reprint this, this next year, which I think thought was uh, was really kind of neat. It's, uh, I'm not sure how good a Russian connection is these days, you know. Times, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I thought that was uh, it, it's really you know what Frank is great when some, sometimes when one of these stories uh, acquire a, a life of their own after the first publication. That's any of us are very fortunate when that happens when they're picked up for for best of anthologies and. And, and honored with awards and so forth. That's uh, it's one of the pluses. It's one of the the bonuses, I guess. So, so the the James Patterson connection was that he selected Molly's Plan for for the best American mystery stories. Uh, right. That was the two, that was the 2015 edition 2015. of uh, of best American mystery stories. It's it's an annual publication, and uh, the top 50 mysteries uh, in the country are selected by Otto Penzler of, of Mystery. Mysterious Press and Mystery Bookstore in New York City each year, and then he always have a, has a guest editor each year. It turned out to be James Patterson that year, and then that editor chooses the best twenty, what he feels are the best twenty uh, out of those top fifty, and those get published in uh, Best American Mystery Stories each year. So that was that, that was uh, it was a great honor. It was it was uh, that's huge to have that happen. That that happened uh, I guess the month after I was notified of that. The month after I was notified of the Edgar nomination. Uh, so that was a really good couple of months there. You had to feel uh, pretty excited about, about that. That's a pretty good run right there. 
I, I did. The Best American Mystery Stories is, is kind of on the bucket list of a lot of uh, uh, short story folks, and I, I was really, really fortunate. Fortunate. Uh, another one that I that I always kind of hoped I might one day get into is the, the Noir series that uh, is published out of Acacia Books in, in, in Brooklyn. And uh, I wound up having a story in Mississippi Noir last last year, which was uh, one of the things that uh, I had always kind of hoped hoped might happen. It's a lot of fun. Well, I mean, with as prolific as you are, it's no surprise that you end up in some of these places. But uh, you know, it's obviously it's quality that gets you into those types of uh, those type of publications. Well, you're very kind. I, I I think there's a degree of luck in there too. So oh no, <laughs> so no lie. I'm really fortunate. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. You, you, you're absolutely right. I think luck definitely plays a role, but you've got to have the talent, and you've got to be putting yourself out there for for luck to even have a chance. And so, uh, right. you know, certainly. I'll tell you, as far as luck goes, Frank, I think uh, you and I had some of that years ago when several of us were chosen for that little anthology called Seven by Seven that Tony Burton put together. Uh, in, in Georgia, that was uh, that was a chance to get together and and, and work with folks whose friendship, uh, I guess we've we really we've we've maintained uh, connections all these years since then, and that was just a it was a really a neat venture I thought. He chose seven people from seven states to write seven stories each about the seven deadly sins. Kind of a kind of an, a crazy idea, you know. And it, it was really I think that was a, a fun thing to take part in, and a fortunate thing for me to take part in. I really enjoyed it. It was the first time any of my work ended up between the covers of a of a book and not a magazine. And, Me too. Oh, was it? Okay. I yeah, didn't I know think that. so. Um, I think and, so. And I, you know, who who else was in that? Yeah, uh, B.J. Berg was in there. B.J. Berg was uh, in there. And, and, and we've kept in touch with you know regular touch with him. Uh, uh, Deborah Elliott, uh, Deborah Elliott uh, Upton from uh, Texas. Yeah. Was in there. Yeah. Gary Hoffman, I think. Yes, Sonny Frazier. Uh, yes, Sonny. She's yeah. California, right? She was I think in, so. I think she was in California. Yeah, yeah I think she's um, California, you're right. I so a lot, a lot of people from a lot of different states. Well, t- seven of us. But I think from uh, maybe even from seven different states took part in that. Trying, I feel like we're forgetting somebody. I do too. I I'm, think we I'm, are. I'm, I'm pulling it up. <laughs> I'm pulling it up right now, but unfortunately, oh, okay. Here's the. Uh, Beth, who was Beth Groundwater? No. Uh, you know, Kimberly Brown is the one we forgot. Kimberly Brown. That's right. I forgot about she, Kimberly. She was right. in there. Yeah. In fact, she and she has a. Uh, she keeps a like a blog or a, a, a reference website, doesn't she? Of. Uh, I didn't realize that. Short I don't story know. markets for yeah, it's like, uh, uh, it's one of those things that you see. I mean, authors helping authors is such a theme I come across whenever I'm whenever I'm. Oh, I know, you know. I know. Sandra Sandra Siemens has one of those. Uh, my oh, little corner. I, little I corner think that's the website. It's just terrific. You know what? That's I think that's who I'm thinking of uh, on the yeah, website I piece. I think you're right. I, I'm, but uh, I do remember Kimberly sending out uh, emails. I think of, uh, hey, that you know, here's a, here's four new markets I discovered, or here's you know, she was very proactive in, in doing that if I, re- yep. if I remember right but everybody in that group was was really helpful and you know that that uh gig led to uh, my first book being published there with 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 wolfmont press with that uh, that's right you know that's right yeah. this networking deal is a big a big thing in publishing i've tried to go to as many of these voucher con mystery conferences as i can over the years i've not been to many six or seven but uh, but those are always fun and any of the get-togethers like that are fun so that little seven by seven project that you mentioned was it uh 
was definitely a launching pad for me, and I, I hadn't realized that was the first uh, first book you were in as well. I think it was the first anthology I was uh, that I was I was featured in, and just just a lot of fun. It was a challenge for us too to come up with stories, you know, to fit those particular. These these anthologies are, 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 are can be an awful lot of fun. Most of them are themed. And uh, you know you're invited to to contribute stories to some, and then to some you you, you kind of have an audition process, and you send it in, submit much as you would to a magazine. But when uh, when those happen, those can be an awful lot of fun. You're actually featured then in a real book. You're you're in there sometimes with with some really uh, well-known uh, authors, and. Uh, it can, can be a lot of fun to do. I think there are more anthology opportunities out there maybe now than there used to be, and those are good opportunities for writers. That one I remember had a 600-word count uh, ceiling, and it was a hard, hard 600. I think they all had to be mysteries, and they all had to end with some sort of a twist. You couldn't just write a mystery. I think so. A twist. I think so. Yeah, there were 49 stories in that one little slim little book mm-hmm. because they were all 600 words each. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it's hey, that'll, of, teach you, that'll teach you how to write tight. That'll teach you how to write sure. tight anything, Will, right? <laughs> yeah, that does, for sure. <laughs> that book's out of print now, that anthology, so if you have any copies, of, probably hang on to them if any of us get super famous. That's true. Uh, uh, that'll be worth something someday. Uh, you know, <laughs> hey, we like to think they will be, right? Yeah, we like to think so. You talk about giving back to to, to people and helping out, you know, each other out and everything, and I noticed... Uh, Another surprise in your bio that I wasn't aware of is that you're uh, teaching some some fiction writing at the uh, continuing ed for the local community college there or university uh, near near where you live. I or? do. I've, I've been doing that about 15 years now, I guess. Uh, I just teach some, some night classes there on, on writing and selling short stories, and that's a it's it's a lot of fun. I have more fun than the students do. It's, it was really a great opportunity for me to uh, to meet new writers and and to work with to work with new writers. About half the sessions uh, have to do with uh, the craft of writing, and then the other half have to do with uh, with the marketing of those stories. Do your uh, students keep you updated when they have successes? They do. Well, the only requirement I make is they have to keep in touch with me afterward about any, <laughs> any sales they make, because it's a great feeling. I might not have really played any part in those sales that they uh, subsequent sales that they make, but but still, it's just a thrilling thing to to hear about their successes. You do a little blogging, or did anyway? Are you still doing that on a consistent basis? I am. I'm still doing that. It started off back in gosh, I think maybe 2007 or so with Criminal Brief, which was a mystery a mystery blog. I uh, started I think by James Lincoln Warren out in California, and seven of us uh, for the next four years. Between I think '07 and maybe uh, 2011 or so, uh, blogged once a week. I had Saturdays, and we just write uh, about about mysteries, uh, and, and specifically then about short stories, short mysteries. So I did that for four years, and then Sleuth Sayers picked up in 2011. And it's still going, and that's a group of writers. I I I have a blog every first, third, and fifth Saturday, and uh, a group of writers again write about the mystery genre. Sometimes movies, sometimes uh, sometimes stories, sometimes novels. It's it's a it's it's a lot of fun for the bloggers, and I hope for the readers too. We have a good time with that. Is that sleuthsayers.org? It it is. I believe it's sleuthslayers.org. If it is, I just pulled it up, and there's a uh, 
a brief interview that Brian Thornton did with yeah. uh, Eric Campbell, the publisher of Down and Out yeah. Books, which is the publisher that uh, I have several books with. Yeah, Eric is a great guy. Down and Out is is uh, is quite a, a going concern these days. A lot of folks, uh, uh, it's uh, it's done well over the last few years. Yeah, I, it's funny. Done I, the last, I think they've done. I think they've done the last couple of voucher kind anthologies. Uh, uh, also, at least right, one. Yeah, at least one. Yeah, and then they they were nominated yeah. for six different Anthony awards. Right. Th- this last year, so they're 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 coming on pretty right. strong. Do you think you'll ever uh, publish one of those novels or write another one? Oh, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of piddling with one right now. I have two that are two that are written right now, and out out with an agent, and we'll see what happens there. And and again, I really it was fun. It, it's not that I don't like. It, gosh, it's not that I don't like writing novels. I just seem somehow drawn to these little shorts. I can't seem to keep them out of my mind. And and, and when I finish one, an idea is always there for the next one. So it's like I just kind of never stop. So are these stories just popping into your head and? Jumping on your shoulder, oh, left yeah, and man, right. Oh yeah, they pop your head. Yeah, yeah, they pop in and you can't get them out until you, you until you write them <laughs> until you write them down. I'm either blessed or cursed with more ideas than anyone should ever have for all this stuff. I think. So writing them down is a form of exorcism, I guess. <laughs> get them out of the head. It is in a way. It's getting them out of there. You're right. How many drafts do you usually go through for a short to mid length story? Not not a not a lot not a lot. Um, I, I do a lot of working it out in my head beforehand. Probably more than most folks do. Maybe more than I should. But but uh, I, I kind of like the. Uh, I'm one of these people that out, I guess you call it an outline. It's a middle mental outline anyway, where I work out pretty much the story in my head. It might change later when I start writing it down, but but it's probably not going to change much. And I have to know where I'm going. I have to kind of know the ending before I, before I start. To me, it doesn't lessen the the, the fun of the whole thing to do that. A lot of people say that that takes the fun out of it if you kind of know it ahead of time before you put it down on paper or type it into the computer. And for me, that doesn't it doesn't uh, make it any any less enjoyable to do it that way. I I need that structure and that direction before I get started. Then the writing itself uh, goes 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 really fast. And as I say, I'll I'll, I'll kind of play with it and, uh, and and refine it a bit before I'm finally through. But probably not a, not a, not a whole lot of drafts. Well, I was going to tease you earlier when you said why you uh, why you, you like to you know get in and get out and and, and enjoy the experience that that by uh, saying maybe you were a little bit ADHD, but this last description maybe. Is, <laughs> I don't think so based on what you just said. I mean, <laughs> you spent a lot of time uh, working it out before you write it down. I think I would waste a lot of time if I didn't know where it was going before I start. You know, with all the short stories you've got out there in all those different markets, it's it's like you have just so many lines in so many different uh, ponds that uh, fortune could blossom for many of those seeds, I guess, as long as I'm mixing metaphors right. badly here. So that's, right, that's true. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, I'll tell you, John, I, I you know, I, I've, it's been like a good 10, 11 years since I first met you. And this is the first time I believe I've ever spoken to you on the telephone. I know. I know we were long overdue, Frank. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy world we live in that something like that can happen? It is uh, a crazy yeah, world. Uh, we, uh, we we wind up e-meeting. We e-meet so many more people. This <laughs> and and it, it is fun to. I tell you, what's really fun too. And you and I will have to make a point to do this: is to meet face to face at one of these conferences one day. That's, that's a lot of fun yeah. to meet and catch up because you feel like you know uh, you know some of these people so well. Because some of these sleuthsayers, I read their darn columns every week, and you mm-hmm. feel like feel like you you, you know them. After a while, and then when you meet them face to face, you feel uh, 
Uh, you can just really pick up where you left off. I've never met a single one of the the seven by seven off. Oh no, I take that back. I did meet uh, I met Sunny Fraser at Left Coast Crime in two thousand and seven. Oh, so she was there, and oh. the, might have been another one of the seven by seven people there too. I'm trying to think, but it's just you meet these people and you become really truly actually friends with them, and and it's such you a did. strange. You did. It's so strange, though, because you never even talk on the phone or meet them, and yet you have an affection for them and regard for them. And, I mean, I talk to people who know you, and they you know, they talk about how what a gentleman you are and how much they like you and what a nice guy you are, and they haven't met you in person either. You know, they're going off the same template that I am, and so it's it's just a, our world has turned into a weird place. Our, our grandparents would not recognize it, I don't think. I know you're right, and the great thing about this is, is, is we're in a position. I think that when we need help from each other, we ask each other just as if we were, you know, a face-to-face friends, and it 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 just works out well. It's a big uh, the camaraderie is uh, is really great to have. Well, I completely agree, and uh, it's been a, a pleasure getting the chance to talk to you and uh, catch up. And I'll, I'll tell you, I look forward to that conference where, when and wherever it is. Uh, the first round's on me, my friend. <laughs> That sounds good. We may be in opposite corners of the country, but we can get together in one of those places. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we can make it happen. I'd like that. Well, thanks for coming on the show, John, and I'd wish you luck. But clearly, you, you, you've managed to find a way to harness that. So I, I wish you continued good fortune. Thank you, Frank. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. Best to you. Take care. Wow, what a what a truly nice guy. Just a humble gentleman that uh, I've been wanting to meet for a long time. I, we've been uh, virtual friends, but it's really kind of cool when you get to meet people uh, a little bit closer to in person, find out they're every bit as cool as you thought they were. So uh, our next episode, we will be interviewing Sarah M. Chen, who is the author of Cleaning Up Finn, an Anthony-nominated novella. Caught up with her to ask her some quick-hit flash-forward questions. Sarah M. Chen... What city do you live in now? Hermosa Beach, California. Your favorite writer? I'd say a tie between Patricia Highsmith and Mo Hader. Favorite movie? Okay, another tie <laughs> between <laughs> Sound of Music and Clockwork Orange. <laughs> That's a conversation right there. <laughs> do you have a nickname? Not anymore. Well, it used to be Sarah Chinny Chin Chin, but I hated it. So I wish I didn't say it. <laughs> what, what are you working on right now? A short story for an anthology. What hobby do you have that has nothing to do with writing? I don't know if this even counts because I hate doing it, but I guess going to the gym. Favorite sport? Basketball. Uh, favorite musician? Tribe Called Quest um, when, it, when there was Five Dog. Five second advice to aspiring writers. Write like your parents are dead. <laughs> I love it. That is awesome. Where would you like to go that you've never been? New Zealand. What is your favorite quote? I think it had to do with Alan Alda. If you're talking to somebody, underestimate their knowledge, but overestimate their intelligence. Awesome. Well, that's great. And there you have it, folks. Everything you ever wanted to know about Sarah M. Chen. My name is Christy Scalise, and I'm here for a little, add a little sexiness to this podcast. <laughs> so, Frank Zafiro, what about you? What do you got going on in your life? Uh, well, I've 
have a sexy wife who uh, uh, that's for starters <laughs> duh duh um, you know, I'm uh, working on uh, the novel I wrote with Colin Conway. It's in the editing process um, uh, called Charlie 316, and I'm pretty excited about that one. You've read that one. Yeah, I heard it was one of the best books you have ever written. I think it's right up there for sure. I mean, it's not done yet, but I, I really, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. And that's saying a lot because I'm pretty, you know, I've had some pretty cool co-writers, but and I'm still working on the Fifth River City book. In fact, my friend Dave Mather told me that his mom was giving me to the end of the year and then she was going to jump ship. <laughs> so I got, I'm hoping for like a October release there. Um, uh, we'll see how things are, are going there. And then I'm really uh, super excited to announce that uh, Down Out Books is going to reissue the Anya trilogy that I wrote with Jim Wilski. And that is going to come out next year. Uh, a couple of months apart, uh, they're going to drop each book, uh, Blood on Blood, Queen of Diamonds, and Closing the Circle. And then there's going to be a fourth book, and the fourth book will be a prequel that'll be a kind of an Anya origin story, but it'll still be told in the same fashion that we told the other three stories, the other three books where Jim and I will each write one of the two characters, and we'll do it in the first person and uh, the, the alternate chapters. So it'll be a dual first-person narrative with alternating chapters. So, so we as readers get to find out why Anya is such a raging, sneaky, manipulative bitch. Well, spoiler alert, uh, folks. But yeah, yeah, you do. And we've got a couple of twists in there how we're going to tell that story. But yeah, you do get to find that out. But we felt like it would be better told after the series so that there aren't any spoilers as you read through the original three books. And I'm pretty excited for Down Out to, to be reissuing these. It's a perfect fit for, for the style of book that they publish. Um, but those are the big things that are that are going on right now. I'm finishing up uh, Details in Black for... Uh, actually, by the time this airs, if I don't have it finished, I'm, I'm probably going to be getting angry emails from, from Larry Kelter because I'm approaching the deadline and he's been very patient. So I'm working on that, which is a pretty cool story for his uh, Black Car Business anthology. And it's gone a different direction than I expected, so... Uh, that, that's kind of exciting. I think that's kind of interesting. How does one decide, I'm going to write an anthology or I'm going to create an anthology with a bunch of different authors and it's going to be the theme of black cars. Like, Does that kind of stuff happen a lot? Well, I think most people that come up with an anthology, they are they do you know wrap it around some kind of a theme. Um, and I don't know what the inspiration was for, for Larry. I'll ask him. He's going to be on the show in episode uh, six, I believe, uh, in a few weeks, so I'll definitely ask him what the uh, what the inspiration was. But yeah, a lot of the anthologies have themes. I just got one today that has a Texas theme uh, from a writer that I know that uh, called for submissions, and so cool. Um, yeah, you kind of got something up your sleeve in that direction, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm not quite ready to announce that yet, but Ooh, uh, but yeah, can. thanks for the tease. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. That's it. That's all you got to share with us. You got a lot of stuff going on, it sounds like. A lot of stuff. And that is, that's not it, but uh, that's all I'm sharing today. Heard you're making some local connections with some bookstores and... Yeah, just doing the writer thing. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for letting me jump into your podcast. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And thank you, uh, Sarah M. Chen, very much for coming on the show. And our main guest, uh, John Floyd, uh, thanks for, for being interviewed, John. Always a gentleman. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to thank Down and Out Books for being our sponsor, as always. And thanks to our bookstore experts, uh, Casey at Herringbone Books 
and the legendary J.B. Dickey at Seattle Mystery Bookshop. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks when we will be interviewing Sarah M. Chen. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you gotta be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs>